The Biden administration is awarding $2.8 billion in grants to ramp up battery production for electric vehicles. Governments are going big on batteries. The number of electric vehicles that will be sold in this country is at 4.5% right now. It's going to ramp up to more than 10% by 2025. As the world transitions towards cleaner energy sources, countries all across the world have recognized the importance of securing battery supply chains in the transition towards a more sustainable future. And in terms of battery production, it is going to quadruple here in the United States by 2025. So in episode two with Gavin White, co-founder and CEO of About Energy, we explore the various initiatives and policies implemented by countries to encourage the production of batteries. Honestly, it wouldn't be possible to have companies like About Energy here today if it wasn't for long-term vision and support of government to start with grassroots research and building that into like a commercial service. So whether you're interested in clean energy, electric vehicles, or the future of sustainability, this episode is for you. So let's dive in. If you'd known how important the technology economy was 20 years ago, would you have done things differently? The internet, cell phones, the cloud, and data. Things have changed. We're here to talk about it. Hi, I'm Jed. Hi, I'm Shikhar. Welcome to Things Have Changed, your new economics and technology podcast. Um, you know, we've been reassessing all of our spend in 2022 because uh, it's yeah. been going crazy, bro. It's been going crazy. I've been traveling a bunch. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of expensive shit out here on the East Coast, especially out here in New York, right? New Jersey. Yeah, sorry, yeah. New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's um, not let's not confuse the two. Huge differences. It's right across. It's right across the street. Um, so we've been we've been reassessing, you know, how much we spend on stuff. And you know, one of the largest costs I have, I'll tell you right now, bro, is insurance. Okay, in Hudson Ooh, County, I dude, Hudson County that. has the highest insurance rates in the country. Okay, so I'm particularly affected by these insurance rates. And, you know, as everybody knows on the show, if you've been listening to Things Have Changed podcasts, you know, I have an electric vehicle and this electric vehicle warrants a really high price. I'll tell you how much I pay for insurance, bro. I pay $400 for my insurance. Okay, so let, let, let me tell you, let me tell you how much I used to pay in LA and the reason, so okay. I used to live in Los Angeles and I used to pay $220 because the highway that I used, which is the 405, is the most yeah. trafficked road in the Western world. <laughs> most trafficked and most accidents. I say I say Western world because where I'm from, I'm from Bangalore, India, and Bangalore's got the most trafficked yeah. <laughs> roads in the world. So no doubt. I, I'm making no doubt. I'm making I a huge difference there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I had to pay so much and I still hate it. You know, anyway, one of one of the things that that had us rethinking about, you know, what we're consuming these days is is insurance and how like how do we optimize insurance? And for me, the only way I could think about was, well, maybe if I had a different type of car, you know, my insurance would be smaller. Because I have friends out here, you know, driving other types of EVs that don't pay as much as me in insurance. So yeah, I had to yeah. think about, you know, 
what do I have to do to get a different type of insurance? So got to put my my boyfriend pants on because this was a demand from from the fiance. Um, <laughs> and so I started I started having to look, you know what I mean? I started having to look at other options and by other options, yeah. I mean other EVs. Cause I'm not, I'm not getting out of the world of EVs, yo. I love EVs. If Jed has to come in to assess multiple options, that <laughs> is banker talk for him opening an Excel sheet with five, six columns and like a, like ten rows and assessing every single thing. Because that's wow. that's how he wow he, he you runs. You underestimate, dude. You underestimate how many columns and rows I have. All right, and and first of all, it's <laughs> Google Sheets now, so I can share it. All right, so I can always share it. Great copy and share it. Um, so you know, I, I had to come into this space where where I had to assess what type of next vehicle to buy, and you know what, it was really interesting to to look into because, for me, once you start looking at um, vehicle purchasing in general, you look for things that might make your purchase a little cheaper, right? Influx last two years, we've been talking about all the types of electric vehicles coming into the market. And I'm interested in electric vehicles. Yeah. And when you assess the price these days, you know, you think about price as one of the biggest factors of you deciding what kind of car should I buy? Well, I'll tell you what right now, dude, the options that I had in front of me of all of the cars to buy there are some significant incentives in place for me to actually go towards electric vehicles. And I just, I just kind of realized that recently, you know, because all of these government programs, local, state, and federal, have huge incentives for buying electric vehicles. You know, it's really interesting. For example, I'll give you an example. You can get $7,500 off or $7,500 credit from the federal government for buying an electric vehicle. In my state, in New Jersey, you can get up mm. to $3,500 as well of uh, a credit towards buying in an electric vehicle. In addition, this is not this is not something where you get one right. and you can't you can't take advantage of the other. You can take both into consideration when you're looking into buying electric vehicles. So that's just me for New Jersey. I'm sure California has more more advanced credits um, for these types of um, purchases. But the truth of the matter is, immediately, depending on what car you buy, obviously there are certain restrictions. Um, you can expect about 10 to 12K of credits from the government in order for you to buy a vehicle. And this is all across the board, not only on the new vehicles but now even used so used evs for the first what? time yeah, yeah even used evs for the first time are eligible for tax credits up to four thousand dollars i think that's crazy all of this is from this act i think it's called the ira inflation reduction act passed by the government recently and it targets so many categories within electric vehicles so not just uh, consumer EVs, but also like commercial EVs. So even they have tax credits now because, you know, a lot of automobiles on the roads, on the highways are commercial vehicles. 100%. But yeah, this these government policies that you're talking about, dude, like like the IRA, it's not just the IRA. Gosh, it's like St. Patty season. So I'm thinking about other things here. Um, <laughs> but the Inflation Reduction Act, right? The Inflation Reduction Act that, that Shikar was talking about, these are some of the things that kind of, for us as normal everyday consumers, 
it's something I immediately noticed, right? Because when the the people who are in these uh, car dealerships are trying to sell you a car and you immediately try to look at, you know, what's the cheaper option, they may just tell you, yo, by the way, locally, we got these incentives that could help you make your decision. You know, um, this is an EV credit that you you may not have thought about when you went inside the car dealership. You know, so these government initiatives that are being rolled out um, when it comes to incentivizing buying electric vehicles and whatnot, they don't just stop at the consumer side that we see, right? They're also on the the producer side, which incentivize companies to create more efficient batteries, um, yeah, incentivize. Um, companies to actually look into developing these electric vehicles and whatnot, you know, and supporting some areas where we don't even think about as consumers, like research. That's one of the biggest things, dude. One of the biggest things I think like in this area is like figuring out how to get more efficient, right? And that research process is expensive, bro. Like if you listen to our first episode, right, with with uh, Gavin White, who we're going to introduce later on uh, today in this episode, he chatted about how it was really based on a trial and error methodology, right? This research. And yeah. trial and error is expensive, bro. If you got to test everything, like I can just imagine how difficult that that must be. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. Like, they're solving problems from both the consumer and the producer side to encourage demand, but also to encourage supply. So, it's an interesting problem to solve. Yeah, and the biggest challenge now, right, to that supply equation is the fact that uh, 85% of all of this with regards to the supply comes from China, right? So, divesting from a single point of failure in that sense, like what we saw during COVID with, you know, not having gloves and uh, chips and stuff like that, right? Uh, I think there's a larger focus in being able to spread the risk and spread the sourcing abilities. And that has resulted in a lot of policies from not just America, but also many European governments. And it's created this gold rush for battery technology and battery production. So Europe is getting big on this as well. You know, they want to become like a hotspot of battery manufacturing because uh, I know if you saw this in the news jet, but there there have been close to like 35 gigafactory announcements in Europe. And this is obviously led um, by companies Crazy. such as Tesla, but also you have like LG and Cattle and Northvolt and you have many of these companies that are targeting Europe as a great spot to kind of um, shore up that battery supply chain. And I think, you know, uh, European countries also have learned so much. They've learned the lessons of offshoring a lot of their manufacturing out to Asia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and just thoughts about, you know, the challenges we have in this in this space diversifying the supply chain is something we talk about in a lot of other episodes and a lot of other industries like the semiconductor industry, right? That's what's happening today with the semiconductor industry. It's the same thing has to happen for manufacturing of, of batteries, right? And it's just such a complex process that you need kind of government intervention to help these things kind of, you know, go more smoothly than other industries might go. And Faraday battery challenges is really interesting stuff that the UK is trying to do to be sort of a leader in this battery production um, yep. pipeline, right? This battery production life cycle. And dude, that's a lot of money. They invested 
like 274 million pounds um, into this initiative already. And I think the people that we've chatted with so far have benefited from some of these programs. Like you just said, Gavin has benefited from the Faraday uh, battery challenge, right? And being in an industry that they are, even if it's relatively, yeah, he speaks to it in our episode. Being that it's relatively like an unseen space, like this research and development phase, like it's so important that the government recognizes that need, that we also need to, you know, invest in the areas of, of battery development rather than just investing in the areas of, um, you know, EV production itself, right? Like they recognize the supply chain, they recognize where they need to solve it, et cetera. So I think these incentives um, and these government programs are super important for us to to get to, you know, to the sustainable future that we've been preaching in this in this podcast for like the last two years, right? Um, yeah. So what's coming, you know, what's what's coming in the next few years when it comes to the future of this landscape? And we chat about this in our, our episode with, with Gavin. Um, we've already mentioned some of the programs here, Faraday, Battery Challenge, the Inflation Reduction Act. There are programs also coming from um, countries in the East, like China. Um, South Korea is also investing a lot in, in battery production. You know, people are trying to get on the energy wave all across um, the globe. There are massive loans being given out to, to United States companies as well that um, is focused towards getting also that research and development in there, getting everything in the supply chain more focused on the United States and, like you said, diversifying um, the supply chain across different parts of the world and not just one place. So it's kind of interesting that all of these policies are coming up. Um, we're going to now move towards the conversation that we've had with um, Gavin on you know, his thoughts about uh, something like the battery passport, um, something that we've chatted about as well in our episodes with um, Yen Ye and Nicholas Yu, um, who both worked together jointly on the battery report, which we enjoyed so much yeah. here. Things have changed. Um, yeah, shout out yeah. to Avolta Foundation and Intercalation. Absolutely. And we chat about that actually in this episode too, where, you know, yep. the information has become widespread now because of initiatives like this. Dude, these are people who aren't paid necessarily to do this, right? This is their passion jobs, like on the side, hey, let's just create the battery report and collaborate with a bunch of battery experts, you know, to get this done. That is yeah. amazing that it comes from like, you know, these types of initiatives. And as this episode comes up, I just want you to keep in mind, um, you know, the battery report is out there and it's getting posted every year. So please refer to it if you're interested in the material that we're talking about here today um, with Gavin White. And, you know, stick around for the episode because he has a lot of great insights about he, a benefactor of the Faraday Battery Challenge, has benefited from this whole wave of government incentives, right? Really excited to see what happens in the next few years. So let's uh, let's give it up for, for Gavin and let's go into our conversation uh, for part two of our conversation with Gavin White. Gavin, quick point there. You know, when uh, I was at Abbott, because it's the FDA and you need so many like um, licenses to operate, right? Because it's health saving yes. stuff, right? It's life saving stuff. Um, where I'm going with this is for every material that we procured, we needed um, a certificate. We used to call it COC, a certificate of conformance, mm -hmm. where it tells, okay, this is from this batch, this this lot, this ID, blah, blah, blah. And that kind of proves the authenticity of the product. Is that, um, when I think about how you're validating the models, uh, are you 
providing some stamp of um you know approval that hey you know what we have tested this model and um actually tested it in in the field and seen these results and this is what we can recommend or something like that yeah it's, it's similar enough to kind of what we do um a lot of our models we take from you know peer-reviewed academic literature things that have been reviewed and approved by you know hundreds thousands of people um and yeah so when we build a model we say um you can kind of so advantage of our solution is we can say, well, this is the model we use. Here's this academic paper that, you know, we as the community have agreed this is the right way we should model it. And then we as a company have, you know, measured the inputs for it. That's the, the difficult bit that we do. Um, so when we supply it, it kind of comes with that. I guess it's like a statement of authenticity is to say that, you know, this has been reviewed and approved. I think an, another interesting point that just, you kind of raised there and it literally just i think came out last week was the battery passport in europe yes so so yeah that's basically like a common standard and agreement that when you make a battery you kind of give it this passport to say this is what this battery is what materials are in it how it was made and that kind of follows it the whole way through its lifetime so when it comes to second life or recycling people actually know that's really cool so (laughs) yeah it's I'm super happy to see a huge amount of regulation come into the space and like these kind of certificates, you know, um, and statements of authenticity or, you know, proof of model working um, are kind of coming online because it's an industry that's growing super quickly and regulators are, you know, very quickly trying to kind of catch up. The typical way of innovation. Yeah. Just thinking about how the government can play a huge role in, in pushing this forward. You know, when capital doesn't exist privately or is lacking privately, the government plays a huge role in pushing that technology forward. You know, so I kind of wanted to ask, you know, all of the the information that we read about your company, a lot of it came from uh, Faraday Institute. We read a lot about it through there and a lot about yeah. you through there as well and the people that are involved in your company, actually. Um, and so just a, a little bit of information on how you think the government has helped you and how you think they can play a large role in you know helping push forward, I guess, this industry and, and more specifically um, your company. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, a lot of your listeners probably aren't aware of the Faraday Institution in the UK, which is a UK government body. I think they're actually registered as a, a charity. It was basically part of the UK's government um, industrial strategy, maybe going back eight to 10 years, that, you know, batteries were going to be a huge opportunity for the UK economy. And, you know, we were kind of badly positioned for it. We had lots of automotive in the UK. Um, like traditionally, we've been a, a world leader for automotive. Um, and this big change to batteries, you know, presented a risk, but also an opportunity to to once again excel. So the UK government had this strategy. They created the Faraday Institution and gave the Faraday Institution £250 million. And that was for three things. One was to for academic research um, to do a lot of the fundamentals. The second was to support businesses in transition into electrification. And then the third was really to build like um, an industrialization center to yeah, massively reduce the kind of cost and capital requirements for um, sale manufacturing companies to get going to basically like a centralized R&D test facility. So, yeah, how that's impacted me is literally from the first day of my PhD. I was in a research group which was heavily funded by the Harvard Institution, a huge amount of researchers there working on these projects. Um, yeah, the, the research group I was in, you know, doubled in size thanks to the Harvard Institution um, there's been a whole community in the UK. And then when it came to starting about energy, we were 
super fortunate to get a government grant um, of £100,000 into the company, which allowed us to get going. Um, very recently, we literally just announced um, last week that we got a, another grant totaling a million pound um, between About Energy and Imperial wow, London. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Huge yeah. achievement um, for the company. But yeah, it's like that kind of backing and support really de-risks a lot of this development. Um, and honestly, it wouldn't be possible to have companies like About Energy here today if it wasn't for you know that long-term vision and support of government to you know start with grassroots research and building that into like a commercial service that's that's fantastic news recently there's been a trend of people uh just liking to bash uh the public sector and governments just because oh private is always the best thing but you know they don't realize uh that a lot of what we do today from semiconductors to to you know, space flight to to defense technology to air conditioning. Almost everything came from research labs yeah. that were funded by the government, uh, either through DARPA or NASA or you know labs in Oxford, Cambridge. You know, we, we have seen the other side of it, where we have worked in research labs and and worked in industries so heavily impacted by government long term vision. So we definitely appreciate that side of things as well. Speaking of regulation, you know, I just came from London a couple of months ago and I realized I'd been coming there for a while. My fiance spent like five to six years living in, in London and I was in central London. I realized that there were a lot of electric cars and a lot of the taxis were electric cars. Ubers were electric cars. And I was like, dang, this is really quick. Like out of the how many years I've been coming back to London, it seems like it's just getting more and more electric. And I, I haven't resources or whatever but i heard that you get fined for having a gas-powered car at some point in time in london or something like that is that true yeah that's right super it's in the news again at the moment very contentious in central london they've had the congestion charge for it must be like 10 years now which you know give you a charge if you're in a heavily polluting vehicle and then i don't know how many maybe five years ago they brought in the um, ultra low emission zone so basically, if you have an electric car, it's free to use them these zones. And if it's not electric, then you get charged per day. Um, and these costs are, you know, uh, I think like £10 per day to use. Wow. It's this ultra-low emission zone started as super central London and is now growing and growing and growing. Yeah. And, you know, there's talk of it going the whole way out to the M25, the ring road around London. It's one of those things where I immediately pointed it out because I noticed I live now in New Jersey and I spent a lot of time in New York. So it's kind of a different feel when I go to London and I see the parks, you know, yeah. London, I think is the same or is two times as big as New York, but uh, half the population or something ridiculous. It's a ridiculous yeah. comparison <laughs> how London is doing. So just got to say, good job, UK government, at least on this side. <laughs> a lot yeah. of things that we've we've tackled, you know, involve all of these institutions, um, as you said, subsidies and policies around, you know, incentivizing this kind of stuff. I just wanted to kind of, you know, go towards the end note here, which is where we ask where you think the future is going. Right. So now we're talking about a lot of these government institutions making this push. We're talking about technologies that are getting added, um, supply chains becoming a little bit yeah. easier, still complex, but a little bit easier and manufacturing processes getting a little bit better. So just your thoughts on like, you know, what's what's the future of the battery industry? Yeah, for, I think the future of the battery industry across the board is going to be growth, 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 growth. At the moment, we're in a super supply constrained market. 
Um, you know, they can't get the raw materials out of the earth quick enough. You look at lithium, nickel, you know, super high commodity prices for something that's actually very abundant. Um, and it's because we just don't have the mines, the infrastructure to actually remove it from the earth. So looking into the future, and it's probably like, you know, over the next 10 years, as the, you know, the price of that comes down, um, you know, we're going to just see a huge explosion in the number of applications for batteries. And I think we've already kind of witnessed it in the last five years with like electric scooters, portable chargers, electric vehicles. But yeah, the opportunity in the future is going to be massive. Um, and it's expected to be, you know, for it to hit net zero, that uh, the battery industry will have to be a $30 trillion, um, $30 trillion in size, which is like an order, order of magnitude bigger than the silicon, you know, the semiconductor industry. So, so yeah, I think it's... Oh, wow. It's just how big it's going to grow, I think, is the real question. And it's super exciting to be part of it and, and to see that. Just last year, the U.S. government passed something, uh, which was the Inflation Reduction Act. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it had such a huge provision for clean energy in general. And while we were looking into this, I was just, you know, I, I as usual, I always go in tangents. My mon- mind just wanders off. And it was so interesting where this IRA, the the law that they passed, incentivizes every stage of battery production and the battery supply chain. So it's become like this this, um, routine news item over here, like almost on a weekly basis of company, massive company X is, is building a new battery plant here. So like from LG, Panasonic, Volkswagen, you know, SK, Honda, all of them, GM, all of them, Tesla. And it's kind of created this like gold rush uh, yeah. when it comes to battery um, battery industry, at least in the US. They're giving credits for up to 10% of producing a battery. So, yeah. you know, there are just so many credits that they're giving. And obviously, you know, these ma- big manufacturers would love uh, would love credits, right? So, uh, is that some? Is that something that you're actively thinking with regards to research? Is it more like you are um, HQ'd in Europe, but um, you might even want to kind of tap into this market, or is there enough across different markets from the Americas to Europe uh, that there's enough to go around? Yeah, for sure. We again, we see that as a huge opportunity. Um, and yeah, we're based in London at the moment. We very much want to open offices in like Central Europe and also the US. And and going back to what we were talking about earlier, remember when I talked about the fire institutions, two hundred and fifty million pounds they distributed yep. over eight years. It's it's literally a drop in the ocean compared to the Inflation Reduction Act. And yeah, since yep. that got announced, people on this side of the pond have very much you know been you know up in arms over you know we need more government support. <laughs> yeah. Because it's yeah. it's going to be a game changer for in the US for electrification. Um, and yeah, it's a huge opportunity and hopefully something we can be part of. We already work with US-based companies, but yeah, it'd be great. Hopefully soon to have a US presence and, um, and yeah, tap into that more. That's great. Yeah, I guess this is the opportunity that um, I think we should give you the floor to just chat with our listeners. Um, our listeners range from people who are just getting out of college to your average investor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I'd say to anybody that's kind of in college at the moment or even, you know, younger than that, making them decisions like the battery industry represents a huge opportunity. There's so much growth. And the problem with batteries are so ultra complex that, you know, the nascent engineers that are 
you know, 35 plus, 40, 50, it's a big pivot for them to go and learn electrochemistry and, you know, um, some hardcore engineering, mathematics, physics, uh, electrochemistry. So, so yeah, the opportunity is now. Um, there's going to be a lot of career opportunities in um, the battery industry and obviously with about energy. So please keep an eye on on LinkedIn. We're going to be massively expanding the team over the next few years, and it'd be great to have people part of that. But also just for those that are curious or interested, we want to um, yeah provide a lot of learning opportunities and tools just for the whole community. Um, and we're going to be launching um, something in the next six months just specifically for that, where people can go and learn the fundamentals, the basics, and hopefully over the years more and more advanced stuff about batteries, and we can become like you know the educator for um, for batteries. Um, considering that's kind of our expertise and then for for everybody else i'd say just follow us on on twitter and linkedin um we, we've only been trading now for just over one year and we've achieved a huge amount so yeah where we could go i think is is extremely exciting and hopefully a presence in central europe and also the us will hopefully bring about energy to everybody's doorsteps but but yeah thanks very much for for having me on the podcast and yeah, it's been a real honor kind of talking this through. It's always good to meet people that are so enthusiastic. So thanks very much. Absolutely. It was an honor to have you on the show, man. So we had a blast chatting with Gavin and kind of um, reading more into how the battery landscape is evolving um, with so many startups, so much funding coming into the space. It's really exciting. And what makes us so bullish in the early 2010s you just had the tesla roadster and then you had the model s and it was literally out of reach for everyone right no one could really access evs and now a third of every new car being sold is an ev now so such a crazy shift over the last 10 years with all automobile manufacturers coming into the play everyone's announced all EV lineups. Having fast charging, I think, is really critical for consumer adoption. And that's what we'll be talking about next episode. So so tune in. And as always, stay curious.